Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last week we saw, um, not last week, but the um, two weeks ago, last week we had junior camp, and, uh, but two weeks ago when we were in this study, uh, we saw that we were changed uh, from the, uh, not only the, the old man, uh, but we were changed into an absolute new man by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Again, such an important thing, and when we are changed like that, uh, our desires change as well as our directions change. Our, de- our, our desire is to do the will of God and not to sin. And that's what John was telling the, the writers there. As a spiritual mentor, as a spiritual father, in the beginning of chapter 2, he's writing to them, charging them, and the fact that they have been changed, that they should not sin anymore. Uh, and that's what, if you look at verse 1, he says, Listen, you should not sin. My little children, don't sin. And... Um, We talked about that already in chapter 1. If you say that you don't sin, that you're a liar. But when we're saved, when we have had the Holy Spirit come in to indwell us, when we have had the Holy Spirit change us from an old man to a new man, uh, we're no longer in uh, being operated by the flesh, no longer operated by that old man, then again, we have this desire to obey the Word of God and follow the will of God, but live in these fleshly bodies that still desire to sin. So, nobody can say, I'm a Christian, I don't sin. And again, that's what John said. If any man says that, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. But again, looking at what we saw, we saw that we're freed from this bondage. Freed from from the bondage of sin, forgiven of our sin, washed of our sin completely. And then given the opportunity, and not just the opportunity, but also the power to obey God. Uh, Because again, in these fleshly bodies, we're weak. And so if we have a choice in our own strength to do what the flesh wants to do or to do what God wants to do, we're going to do what the flesh wants to do every single time. Uh, Again, if if we think that we're anything, let's consider Adam, who had never sinned before, who had been walking in the presence of God, who had fellowship with God every day, and yet when he gives in, uh, again, to Satan's temptations, he has no, uh, or faces Satan's temptations, uh, he has no hope against those and so, again, looking at these things, we're going to move forward a little bit uh, this evening and hopefully uh, get to these points that we were trying to get to a couple weeks ago, which was about assurance of salvation. And I don't know where you're at tonight. Um, I know a lot of people can go through the motions and, and present the fact that they are confident Christians. And I'm not talking about confident in themselves, but I'm talking about saying, I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Like Paul said, Paul said, listen, I'm not worried about my soul because I know who has my soul. And, and so uh, if you're not there tonight, though, because there's a lot of people go through the motions. A lot of people have said a prayer. A lot of people show up for church. We'll talk about this more in a minute. Um, but there's a difference between all of that and knowing what Jesus did for you and believing what he has done for you and having your life changed by him and being his. A, again, we, we've talked about it before. The demons know what Christ did. They believe it with all their heart, and it makes them tremble. Um, and so if somebody says, well, you just got to pray this prayer and mean it with your heart. That's not salvation. That's not salvation. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught an absolute surrender of your life to him. That's the illustration of faith. And he tried to explain it in several different ways. At one point in time, he said, unless you hate your mother, father, sister, brother, your husband, your wife, yea, in your own life also, you can't be my disciple. Again, he was trying to show what faith looks like, what trust looks like. He never talked about, say this prayer and mean it from your heart. It was an absolute choice, it was an absolute decision of surrender to him as Lord of all. And that's what Romans chapter 10 tells us, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, confess him as Lord, profess him, confess him, put him there as Lord, that's when you can be saved. And so again, we'll talk a little bit more about this tonight, but I want to pray before I get going too far. So Father, thank you so much for this time. Again, we're humbled by this opportunity, and we're humbled by the fact that we can be forgiven. Lord, we don't have to think very long about the many mistakes that we've made, about the many sins that we've committed against you, and it is just overwhelming the amount of grace and mercy that you've shown to us, Lord, the amount of forgiveness you've extended uh, to us individually, let alone collectively, uh, in this room. And then to think about the fact that you have 
You've paid the price for not just this, this room, but the sins of the whole world for all of human history. And so, Lord, we, we're thankful for your love, your grace, your forgiveness, the sacrifice. We're thankful uh, for the opportunity tonight to look into your word, not to go off of man's word, not to go off of man's tradition, not to go off of man's thoughts or man's ideas or anything like that, but we can turn to you and we can get truth. And so we're thankful for that. I pray that you would just use me as a vessel. Lord, you deserve all the honor. No one else does. And so we pray that's what happens tonight. And if there is somebody here tonight that maybe they've gone through motions, maybe they have held to man's ideas, maybe they've thought that uh, if they just try good enough that they'll be okay at the end of their life. Uh, Maybe there's somebody here that um, maybe that's what they thought is they just had to say a prayer one time. And and, um, I just ask tonight that you would reveal the truth to all of us and that whether we need to be encouraged or just um, have that confirmation or maybe not even that. Maybe we don't need that tonight. Maybe there's somebody in our life that we know that we can share this information with. Uh, Or maybe there is somebody tonight that needs this and, and they need to surrender their life to you once and for all. Just move tonight and we'll praise you for it, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> this forgiveness that we've talked about, again, a little bit of recap from last week, but our last message, but um, we, we mentioned it was only, and it is only, made possible through the sacrifice of Christ. And as we saw, that he stands as this advocate between us and the Father, which we have to have because the Bible says that n- there's none righteous, that no one in themselves has any righteousness to be able to stand before the Father. But we saw that because of what Christ did as the only sacrifice, the only worthy sacrifice of God, the only spotless Lamb of God, giving His life as a ransom for our our, our sins, it's because of that that His righteousness can be deposited into our account. And when we have this relationship with Him, He stands there before the Father, in between us and the Father, and with His righteousness on our life and our account, we can have fellowship with the Father. And that's what, again, John has, has mentioned the importance of, uh, of having with, with the Lord. The other thing that we talked about is that we can confess our sins as a child of God. And the fact that God will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness is a phenomenal thought. Because we, we talked about this. There's no limit placed on that. And I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, there have been times that I've, I've thought, God, I'm ashamed to ask you to forgive me again. It's the same thing. It's the same struggle. It's the same sin. I'm, I'm ashamed to, to I, I, I almost get to that point sometimes, in, in, maybe in, in your Christian life right now, or maybe in the past, and, and you say, you know, I, I don't even feel like I should ask God because I've asked him so many times, God can see my heart. Is he going to think that I'm insincere because I've asked him to forgive me of the same thing over, and yet I, here I am again. And so sometimes we, we, that's how we approach our confession of sin and, and repentance of sin based on us. But what we read and what we've covered already is that it's just a promise of God that if we will confess our sins, that God, based on his faithfulness and his justice, will forgive us. I praise God for that. Because again, it's, it's not, there's no limit there. There's no, you say, yeah, but at some point in time, when, when are we just giving lip service? It's at what point in time are we saying the same thing, but God knows that we're not sincere because he knows that we're just going to turn around the next day and commit the same sin? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not God. So I don't have the answer to that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think anybody but God has the answer to that. And then us. But again, we have to remember that, the, that this forgiveness, this cleansing, this, this washing doesn't have to do with Anything concerning us other than a sincere and contrite heart, absolutely, in the act of confessing it to God himself, and then his faithfulness is to forgive us. As we confess, and as a child of God, we're forgiven. And the other thing that we talked about was we remain as a child of God no matter what. And it's, again, not because of what we have done, but because of the the, the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For all of Israel's um, sacrificial history, there had to be a, a, a lamb slay. There had to be a, a sin sacrifice made every year. There had to be other sacrifices brought 
uh, to satisfy what God was requiring. But it wasn't about the acts. It wasn't about, it was never about the, the acts. Because again, it's always been the case that there's none righteous, no, not one. That comes from the Old Testament. And so uh, it's never been because uh, of what man has done to satisfy God in the deeds. What satisfied God was faith. That's why God said Abraham got righteousness imputed to his account because of faith. Not because of his deeds of righteousness, but because of what he trusted God for. That was the whole sacrificial system. That's the whole temple system. That's the whole everything that points to the Holy of Holies, this intimate place of relationship with God that only the priest could enter into, the high priest could enter into. And when Christ's sufficient sacrifice, his substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf was made, it satisfied once and for all. The word in, in 1 John was propitiation. It was the satisfaction. It was the, the, the meeting the, 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 the righteous demands of a holy God against sin. That's what Christ's sacrifice did. And so when we see this, this only righteous, this only spotless lamb of God, as the only satisfying sacrifice for our sin, then we know that it's nothing based on us. That's why when we are a child of God, we remain a child of God. That's why there's nothing that we can do to earn that salvation because we, we couldn't have. We're all unrighteous. It was only because of the righteous Lamb of God. Amen. It's a gift, the Bible says. It's a gift by grace, the Bible says. And we access that gift by a simple entrustment of our life to Him. That's what Jesus taught. That's what He said. And so again, uh, this omnipotent, all-powerful God of all in his perfection, in his holiness, has a plan to destroy evil and the evil one once and for all, to do away with it. His wrath, the Bible says, against all unrighteousness and sin. His wrath is, is being stored up because, again, this unrighteousness is against his person. It's against his his creation. The Bible says that he created and everything was good. Everything was right. Everything was whole. Everything was holy. Everything was consecrated to God. Sin entered the picture and it made a, se a severance between God and his creation. He paid the price for us. He made the perfect payment, a perfect substitute so that that severance could be bridged, so that there could be a bridge between what man messed up, what sin messed up, and what God has in store. So sin's payment, again, of course, is death. Jesus takes our, pay our payment, as I said, a substitutionary death, what we deserve because of our sins. And then the awesome part is this. He rose again. So, again, sin's demand is death. God's demand against evil and sin is that it would be completely destroyed. There's a righteous demand that it would be destroyed. And so Christ took the, the, the demand of our sin upon himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He that knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took that for us, that substitutionary death, but that's not the end. Because again, we know, as I said, he rose again. And because of that satisfying death, because of that substitutionary death, because of his shed blood, and because that he rose from the dead and he's alive today, we can be the children of God. I mean, it, that's a lot of, of thought, that's a lot of words, that's a lot. So you could have said that from the beginning, but the, the picture is so vast, it's so eternal, it's so important of what God did on our behalf. It's, it's so important for us to understand that it is none of us, it is nothing of us. It's only because of what God has done and what he chose even before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that Christ was slain for the foundation of the world. God knew what was going to be required, and he still did it on our behalf. The reason this is so impactful, I think, is obvious. It means that we are offered life because of his death. We deserve the death, but he offers to us life because he paid our death. He died for us. But again, you can't say just his death. It's packaged with his resurrection. Because of his death and his resurrection, he paid the price for us. But more than that, it's impactful and profound in that, as I said earlier, he's the only one to pay the price. He's the only one that could pay the price. 
He's the only one that did pay the price because he's righteous. We said before in, in a couple messages ago that there's nothing dirty can make something else dirty clean. Something clean has to make something dirty clean. As we said, all have sinned, so all of us are dirty. A sinful person can't be a perfect or a suitable or a satisfactory sacrifice for other sinful people. So many have claimed to be Christ. Many have claimed to have died for a good reason. But none have been able to satisfy that requirement from God except for one, and that's Jesus. Again, God the Son was that perfect person. We talked about freedom a couple Sundays ago when we were celebrating our independence in, in this nation, but also as our freedom. And again, this beautiful picture of God's grace that we have. We're freed and forgiven because of Jesus. But sin is this burdensome taskmaster we talked about. We talked about how uh, you have to continue in sin to satisfy sin's hunger and the flesh's hunger for sin. So that's why we struggle with sin, right? Because the flesh knows the pleasures of sin and that they're for a season. And so just like maybe an alcoholic or a drug user, there, there becomes this addiction, and they have to continue in that or whatever other kind of sin that, that, that the flesh is, is satisfied by has to continue to be fed to be satisfied, but ultimately never satisfied. It demands this continually. God, on the other hand, is satisfied once and for all in that one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Again, this intimate relationship that we have because of Christ is just that. It's, it's intimate. It's communion. It's union. It's fellowship. It's all these things that God desires of us with him. It's relationship. And it's one of the points that I have this, this evening is being a child of God, it's a relationship. It's not a name tag. It's not... <clears throat> it's not something you say, it's not an idea, it's not a theory, it's not a hopeful, it's not a wishing. Being a child of God is about a relationship. It's, it's a, something afforded to, the Bible says, few people. Not because it's not offered to all, but it's because Jesus himself said that there is a, a path that leads to life everlasting that's narrow. And, and the, the gate is, is straight. Narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And few there be that go in thereat. And so again, we know that there are only a few people out of the, the scope of all mankind that actually take this, this opportunity, this gift, this offering of Christ for their sins and say, I accept Christ as my sacrifice. His blood to cover my sin. I surrender my life. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm repenting of my life. I'm repenting. I'm turning away from being in control of my life, and I'm turning all control over to him as my Lord. He now directs. He now is in control. What he says is my commands, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But that, that is what happens whenever somebody actually truly gets saved. It's about entering into a relationship that's only afforded through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship. I mean, think about the relationships that we have even in this room in family members. There, it, it's different. There, there is a different relationship than just acquaintances, maybe that you work with or your neighbors that you have. Your family is a different relationship. There's a different relationship in your, your, your immediate family than even in this family, right? There's an intimacy that exists, a, a closeness that exists inside your personal family, your, your, your immediate family. God affords us this intimate closeness as his children. We're, we're invited in to be in fellowship with him. Being a child of God is a relationship. Being a follower of Christ, a disciple, a Christian, isn't a statement. It's a station, a position. So there are so many professing Christians today there are so many people that say that they are Christian. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that, that I've asked them, oh, are you a Christian? They say, yes. But you start getting into a conversation with them about salvation, and they, they say things like this, well, I hope I go to heaven one day. Oh, no, I don't, I don't go to church, really. I don't, you know, you know, you know, I don't, I don't really, 
do they? They have no relationship with Jesus. They have no relationship, no, no continuing fellowship with the God who paid their debt for all of eternity. Again, this brings us into this intimacy, intimacy with him. And so when we are a, a follower of Christ, when we are a disciple, when we're a Christian, it's not about just saying that. It's about the position that we have because of Christ and in Christ. It's a station. It's not a statement. Anybody can say they're a Christian. But only true Christians have that position in Christ. Scripture tells us that there's evidence of this relationship. And that's where I wanted to get to tonight. There's proof of this station. There's, there's, so how do I know that I'm not just stating that I'm a Christian and that I actually have the station of being a child of God, of being in Christ, of being a follower of Christ, the disciple? What, what is it that, that tells me and I have this assurance of that station? And it's not just a statement. John continues in verse 3 of chapter 2. He says, and hereby, listen to what he says. And hereby, here's how we know that we know him. In this intimate way, in this fellowship, in this relationship of child and father, here's how we know him. If we keep his commandments. Now, there's a lot of people that take that wrongly, and they say, if you keep his commandments, then you are a child of God. No, 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 no. That's not what he said. It's the evidence that we are in him that we keep it. It's not we keep them and then we become a child of God. So there's nothing legal about this. This is, not a, this is still pointing to the relationship. It's, it's, it's what happens when you love somebody. You, you, you want to please them. You want to take care of them. You want to be in this relationship with them. There's, there's something that happens when, when love, true love, is involved. I've talked about this many times before when we had messages on love. Right? When you first fall in love, you're willing to do anything. Stay, stay awake 3 in the morning, talking on the phone, falling asleep, you know, driving miles paying for calling cards so that you can talk. That dates us some. <laughs> paying for calling cards so you don't have to run up your parents' long-distance bill and get in trouble. But you, you do all kinds of things because of love. You, you, you do these things, and so it's a result of the change. It's not you, you do these and then you change. Again, he says this is the evidence that we know him, that we're in a relationship with him, that we have this fellowship with him, we have this intimacy with him if we keep his commandments. And he goes on, it's he that saith, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments or keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoa! I don't know if you got that, but he, he says very clearly, there's evidence if somebody is truly Christ's, then what Christ has commanded, they do. And the reason why they do it is because they're in a relationship with him. They're in Christ. They are, they are a follower of him. And so what he says, they do because he is their Lord and they are his disciple. They are his follower. And so again, that John's stating the obvious. If you are in Christ, you keep his commands. If you, are, if you know him, you obey him. But if you don't obey him, you're a liar if you say that you're a Christian. You're a liar if you say that you know him, but you don't obey him. That's what God said. He said, if you say you know God, if you know Christ, if you are in Christ, if you say, hey, it's a statement, I'm a Christian, but you don't obey the commands of Christ, you're lying. That, that's not me, that's the word of God. The truth is not in you. But he continues on, whosoever or whoso keepeth his word, in him verily or truly is the love of God per perfected. Listen to what he says here. Hereby know we that we are in him. Did you hear that? Again, he's made now a couple qualifying statements about if you are in Christ, here's how you know. Here's how you know that you know him. Here's this, here's this qualifier. The next qualifier is he says this. If you keep his word, if you obey his word, then something happens inside your life. If you know him and you obey his word, something goes on in your life. The Bible says, truly the love of God is perfected. It's completed in that person. And he says, and that's how you know, or we know, that we are in him. He goes on in verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him, 
ought himself also so to walk, even as he walks. So again, a very clear distinction. Some identifiers in Scripture. Just in these three verses, we see some very clear identifiers. How, how, how can I know that I'm truly saved tonight, brother? How, I'm struggling with that. I've struggled with that for years. How can I know that I am truly saved? I said a prayer, and I meant it from my heart, like the, the person told me to, to pray it and really mean it. But the honest truth tonight, Brother Kyle, is that I struggle with assurance. I struggle with really knowing that I know without any question, without any doubt. In Scripture we see, just in these few verses, it's clear. If you know Him, if you are in Christ, His righteousness, His Spirit, they are in you. The desire, the direction change is evidence primarily concerning your obedience to Christ's commands. <clears throat> That's why even that, and I'm not saying I'm perfect and I've missed the mark plenty of, in, in my life, but that's why it's so concerning today when you look at so many professing Christians who can pick and choose the commands they want to obey. When that's not what we see even in Scripture. Well, I, I'm comfortable with this command. That's why I obey it. Mm, that's not there. This command makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this command. It takes me out of my comfort zone. I don't like this command. I don't, it just, I don't know that it applies to me. And we, There's so many people that rationalize and try to pick and choose what commands of God they want to obey, and that's not in Scripture. What we just saw is there's evidence that you are in Him and that He is in you, that you are His child, that you know Him and that you are known of Him in the fact that you obey His Word. You obey his commands, that we obey his commands. And, and it goes on to say, when you do that, his love is manifested and perfected in your life. The word keep here, I already alluded to it, it means obey or observe. Simple, does them. If you do the commands that Christ has given. That's the evidence. That's one of the evidences. Very clear. If you say that you're a follower of Christ, but don't do his commands, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving others. Where, again, it's very difficult, is we like to have the comfortable Christianity, especially in America, where everything is about comfort and convenience. We were talking to the missionaries, uh, Rogers family, and they were eating a piece of banana bread with ants on it. And they said, well, that's what we deal with. That's what we're going to do. I mean, that, I mean, that's it. I mean, I'm not going to let the banana bread go to waste. <laughs> you know, it's going to eat the ants, you know. And uh, it's just in, 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 in our nation and in, in our society, our culture, and they're Americans too, but we are so focused on us. We are so focused on what pleases us. We are so focused on what is a comfort to us and what's a convenient to us. And we will even take that to the extent of the commands of Christ. I th I, God's grace, you know, I'll just confess. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive. You're getting into completely different territory there. And go over to, to Hebrews and talk about willingly sinning and <laughs> trampling underfoot and all that kind of stuff. Romans, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, sin. Many people follow ideas. <clears throat> and one of the tragic things that they follow, the ideas that they follow, is the idea of being a Christian. And I hope that that rings true to you because whether it speaks to you personally or somebody you know or maybe you've struggled or whatever, but I believe that so many people are deceived about their salvation because they're following the idea of being a Christian than actually following Christ. Or the idea of following Christ versus truly following Christ. Because John makes no gray area. He makes no in-betweens. There's no 
uh, well, it's just grace, or no, he doesn't say, it's not in his word. It's not in the word of God here. He says, if, you're, if you know him, you observe his commands. You obey his commands. Some people follow the idea of following Christ. Some people follow the routine of what Christians carry out. Some people follow tradition. Some people follow their own idea of what Christianity is. I've had many conversations with people like that. Well, I just think that this. Well, okay, that's what you think, but what does God say? That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. These people follow these things and they miss the point of relationship, which is what the kingdom of God is all about. So therefore, they miss the point of the kingdom. Think about that. Going through your whole life and missing the point of it all. The kingdom of God is what it's about. That's what the, the forerunner of, of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, he was the, 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 pre, the, the forerunner, he was uh, proclaiming, uh, and when Jesus came, he said, it was about the kingdom of God. The kingdom had come. The kingdom is among you. He, it was about this relationship that God's kingdom was coming. He was going to establish his kingdom. Christ would sit as king on this throne. So many people go through their life and they miss the whole point of, of life because they miss the kingdom of God. But this abiding desire to obey God's command and not the idea, not the tradition, not the, not the, uh, uh, the, 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 the desire, the convenience, again, is, is a key identity factor of a Christian. But this isn't new. Following the ideas, following the traditions, following this, that's not new because we know that Jesus came on the scene and that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Much of religious Judaism missed it. The Pharisees missed it. The Gnostics missed it. They had their own ideas as well. The agnostics, they, they missed it. These people, specifically the, the, the Pharisees that we see so much of Jesus' ministry uh, being attacked by, and of course they, were, they headed up the Sadducees, and um, they had been so conditioned by what they had created for themselves. They, they had got used to what Judaism was to them, what, what they thought following God was supposed to be about. They had so conditioned themselves by what they had created that they've missed the very presence of God and the very work of God right in front of their face. The, 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 the presence of God and the work of God leading them to life and life more abundantly that Jesus said he came to bring. These, these Pharisees and Sadducees were so wrapped up in what they had created for themselves that when Jesus said, here's what I'm commanding you, they said, you're a blasphemer. You're of, you're of Beelzebub. You're, you're, you're not of God. They missed it because they were so conditioned and so wrapped up in what they created for themselves. They were hardened, so hardened by their customs and by their traditions that the actual word of God and the work of God being manifested right before them, people being raised from the dead, lame, raised to walk, blind people seeing the, the, the word of God matching up with the, with the, uh, the, the word of God. They were so hardened that when it happened right before their face, it caused them to turn bitter. It stirred up hatred. That turned into sabotage, which in turn turned to destruction. Jesus called them out many times for this, though. He called them out over and over and over. He called them different things. He said they were blind, leading the blind. Then he called them wolves. He called them whited sepulchers. He, he called them over and over and over. He, he, he called them out because they were missing the point of this precious relationship with God that was only being afforded through him. They were missing what the, 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 the most important thing was, was to be able to have this relationship with God and then to actually obey God's commands, not follow some of their own ideas and traditions. Jesus, again, was very clear on these things. But among many times that he called them out that they were missing it and had to do them missing the commands of God 
was in Mark chapter 7. And I want to read this. This is a, several verses in this, but I, I want you to look on the screen and follow along with me. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. That is, they were unwashed. Their hands were unwashed. Verse 3 and 4 kind of qualifies this or clarifies why this was a problem for them. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands. Thus observed the tradition of the elders. Did you see that again? Observing the traditions of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they cleansed themselves. Some of the words there, too, are talking about being baptized. They had a, what's called a mikvah, and, and so that they would many times uh, wash themselves, like take a bath before they would do these. And that's, they were missing the point of what God had even commanded in, in these things. And so uh, they, they didn't eat unless they, had, they cleansed themselves. And there are many other things that, uh, that they have received in order to observe, such as the washing or the baptizing of cups and pitchers and, and copper pots. Like it was this, this, this thing, that they, these rituals, these traditions that they had created that they went through. Verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? But they eat their bread with impure hands. He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts or the traditions of men. See, that's what the Pharisees were guilty of. They had created a system of religion and worship that really had nothing to do with God, but more had to do with them. And so they went around in their religious and righteous, uh, self-righteous ways telling everybody that if they didn't do what they've always done, that they were wrong with God. Jesus comes along and says, you are the ones who Isaiah prophesied about. You have all this lip service. You say all the right things, go through all the right motions, but your heart is not for me. What you end up doing is you make doctrines out of traditions of men. In verse 8 he says, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Oh, <laughs> you're experts, he said. You, you, are, you are experts at saying, I know what God says, but I don't know that I need to do that but I will make sure that I do this. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and mother. He gives them an example. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. That's, that was the command that Moses said. But you say, he said, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that, I, that, that would help you is korban. That is to say, it's given to God. So this is what was going on. He says, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. He gives them one example, and the example was this. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. It's even in, in the Ten Commandments, commandments of God. And part of that honoring was to make sure that those elderly weren't just cast aside, but that the, the, the generation before, the, the, the sons and daughters, were ensuring that they were taken care of, as much as with, with impossible, within their, their means. But he was saying, but you've created this tradition that it's okay for a man or a son or a daughter to say, yeah, we've got a little extra and we could take care of our parents, but you know what? We're, we're giving that to God. They were really giving it to God. They were just saying, that's korban, that's given to God. So they wouldn't do what they could do in honoring their father and mother. And so he says, you've, you've invalidated the word of God by your tradition, and you've handed these things down. You can take the commands of God and say, eh, and then hold on to that. And then he goes on, he says this in verse 14. After he had called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of, the, out of the man are what defile the man. And then he makes this statement. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a spiritually discerning thing. When he had left the crowd and entered, entered into the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. 
And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? And the disciples say, what are you talking about? That, that whatever goes into us doesn't defile us. I mean, we, we obviously can be defiled by things that come inside of us. But Jesus was talking about what you eat. And in, by, by doing so, he was talking about the same exact vision that Peter had. That the, the sheep comes down with all kinds of animals and, and saying, eat. And Peter's like, no, those are not, I can't eat. He said, yeah, I've, I've called it clean. Jesus was, again, qualifying this before it ever happened, that what God determines is what is, is, is right. So, so this is what is, is right. His disciples weren't, get, weren't getting it. So he, he calls them out. Are you so lacking in understanding? You don't have ears to hear it yourselves? Do you not understand what goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? What was he talking about? He explains. Because it doesn't go into his heart. It goes into his stomach and is eliminated. Everybody knows what that means, right? <laughs> Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is, that is what defiles the man. The reason why that is, is he explains, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, thefts murders, uh, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, en envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within, and they defile a man. So again, it's very clear what happens. What happens when somebody is a Christian and, and, and they're following Christ? They obey the commands of God. When somebody obeys the commands of God, what happens? The Bible, we, we, just, uh, uh, we, we saw it a while ago. The love of God is perfected in him. The love of God is completed in him. So he was calling them out. Listen, there's a difference between you and my followers. So plain, so obvious. However, many, I believe, even today are so out of touch with the truth. Out of touch with spiritual reality. It's kind of like somebody saying, I'm a personal trainer. But that person actually doesn't even work out. Right? You would say, you're a liar. <laughs> I mean, you, somebody would say, oh yeah, I'm a personal trainer. Like, oh, okay, what, what, uh, what gym do you, do you work out at? Or what, what gym do you train at? Oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't go to the gym. I don't actually go to the gym. <laughs> oh, so you don't work out? <laughs> no. But you're a personal trainer? Yeah. Don't work out? No. Personal trainer? Yes. You're a liar. <laughs> that, that's, that's, but listen, that, that seems so easy and plain for us to, to, to do that. But that's what Jesus is, and that's what John is writing here about those who say they're those who are actually Christians versus those who aren't Christians. He's saying, you can say all day long that you're a Christian, but if you don't keep his commands, you're a liar. The Pharisees, we're of God. We are the ones who have the right religion. We are of that. And Jesus calls them out and says, listen, you're not following God. You're following your own traditions. You can cast aside God's commands at your whim. I don't like telling people about Jesus. I don't like being faithful to church. I don't like giving. I don't like fellowship. I don't like these things. I, I, that's not comfortable for me. I don't, I don't want to do those things. Even though they are commands of God, we can just set them aside or we say it's not that big of a deal right now. We can throw those things aside and yet we can hold to whatever is a tradition to us. And he says, you're missing the mark. Maybe somebody who would call themselves a personal trainer would even go to the gym occasionally to make it appear or make people think that they might could be a personal trainer. Or maybe it would soothe their conscience, the fact that they were saying they were a personal trainer, but they actually weren't. So they'd go to the gym just to kind of make themselves feel a little bit better. But it was obvious that they're not an actual personal trainer. Again, verse 5 is very clear in our text. Whoever is in Christ will does obey keep observe his word and in this the, god's love is made complete in him that's amazing to me because the greatest virtue that we can have the bible says is love evidence of, of our being in the family of god jesus said is that we love one another evidence to the world that we are his followers is that we love one another john chapter th uh, 13 uh, verse 34 and 35 
By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. God desires to complete his love in us. He, he, he wants, again, we're going to get to it in chapter 4 of 1 John, but it's going to say that God is love. He wants his love in us. And as his, as, if it's truly his love, then it's going to be expressed to others, specifically to the household of faith, the Bible says. He desires for his love to be completed in us. How is, what does that mean? I believe that it's manifested by our being controlled by his love. How is his love made complete or perfect in us when we are controlled by that love? Our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Are they driven by the love of God? The truth is this. If you struggle with love and loving the family of God, a serious examination of salvation is needed. If you struggle with love and loving the family of God, you have to really evaluate whether you're a Christian. Because again, he says, that's one of the evidences of being a Christian. Lastly, in verse 6, if you are in Christ, you are a follower of Christ, he says that you should live like him. What does that mean? What does that, again, you look, look in verse 6 in, in 1 John chapter 2, and you can see it. You follow after the way that he lived. You should live like he did. Some of those things about Christ's life that we can see or that we know about is this. He was devoted to God's will above his own will. Another thing that we know about Christ, he loved the, even the unlovable. He loved the church that he had come to die for, his people. He was connected to the Father and to his people. He was the truth, and so he was living out the truth. He extended grace to those that the world thought didn't deserve it. He resisted sin, and he gave his all. So when we say, how do I know I'm a Christian? We've, we've already seen the keep, obey the word of God, the love of God, and as we do that, is manifested in our life, is made perfect in our life by the thoughts we have of love, the, 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 the words we have of love, the actions we have of love. Those things happen, but the other thing is this. Our life begins to look more and more and more like Jesus' life. That's what we covered when we were talking about spiritual maturity. The whole point of us living on this life and following Christ is to become more like him. And so that's what happens. That's the evidence, another evidence of that. So three main proving points, and I'll be done. Three main evidences that someone is a Christian are found in those verses, and they're very simply this, and you can jot them down in your notes. Number one, obeys Christ's commands. Now, how do I know that I'm a Christian 100%? Number one, I have a desire to, and I make it, it it's, it's my desire, and, and I make it my effort to obey the commands of Christ. Not not an idea of following Christ, not a tradition of, of following Christ or, or, or of man's uh, making. I obey the commands of Christ. That's an evidence of a Christian. Second one is God's love is growing and is obvious in them. Again, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. If you keep his commands, then the love of God is perfected in you. Again, it's, it's something that becomes evident in our life. The, the, even especially the more that we get closer to the Lord, the more love we have for each other. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that love uh, pushes sin under, under the rug. What it means is that love is truly forbearing. It's truly forgiving. You, you, can, you can put up with a lot, right, when you truly love somebody. And that's what happens whenever we are operating in the love of God. And then third and finally, an evidence that someone is truly a Christian is their life follows the Savior's life. It's patterned after the Savior's life. <clears throat> a great test, a great encouragement, hopefully all, all in, in, in a few verses. But the question I want to ask tonight, are you clearly a Christian? Is there no doubt in your mind? Do you know that you know that you know? And you said, maybe tonight you say, yeah, I do. I, I know 100% that I'm a Christian. But honestly, I can find myself being guilty 
of sometimes compromising the commands that I obey and the ones I don't obey. Sometimes I find myself, I, I'm, I maybe, some, maybe we don't want to admit it, but maybe a little like the Pharisees. I'm, I can easily set aside a command of God that I don't like or I'm not comfortable with. But I will hold fast to an idea or a tradition that I have. If you're clearly a Christian, let's rejoice. Let's be bold in our faith. Let's be unashamed and let's let it be clear. The lost need that. There's, there's, a, there's a lost and dying world that's in darkness, and if they don't give their life to Christ, they're going to spend an eternity in a hell that was designed for Satan and his demons. They're going to spend there, and there's not going to be any hope, there's not going to be any help, there's not going to be second chances, and we are the messengers. We are the representatives. We have the relationship. We are the children of God. We are the ones that are supposed to be obeying his commands, showing his love, following after Christ, so that the world may know him come to know him let's be that let's not say well i'll just kind of take what i want and leave what i don't let's not be that and again i would challenge that salvation if that's your mentality but again the lost need us to live our lives not in a self-righteous way but in a christ-like way and if it's not clear that you're a christian tonight what a great night to settle it once and for all. Amen. What a great opportunity to settle it once and for all. You know what? I'm not going to follow anything else. I'm not going to play any more games. I'm not going to go off of, of a prayer. I'm not going to go off of what other people think. I'm not going to go off anything else. But once and for all, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Once and for all, I'm going to be set free. And I'm going to enter into the life that he's given to me. What a great, what a great night it would be. If you're in that place and, and you accepted God's free offer. But again, if you, if you say, I, I know I'm a Christian, there's no doubt in my mind. Let's, let's make sure that our lives line up with these three. Uncompromised. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this reminder tonight, for this challenge, for this encouragement. Lord, it, very, very clear in your word. So many times we struggle with assurance and, and maybe there are some in here tonight that will leave tonight and still struggling with their, the assurance of their salvation because they don't want to accept what you say very clearly in your word. If we know you, we obey your commands. If we obey your commands, your love is perfected in us. It's evident in our life. And we follow after you, the pattern you've set. Maybe some in here that say they don't like that, they don't agree with that, but it's your word, you spoke it, it's truth, it's everlasting, and I pray that you would show them that. Again, if there's somebody here tonight that they're not 100% sure that they're saved and they want to make that, that settled tonight, I pray that they would move during this time of response, this invitation, and that you would get the glory from all of it, God. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name.